When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are seven days Away from your Missouri football Tigers taking the field against Louisiana Tech, kicking off the 2022 season and experiencing everything that we've talked about for the nine last nine months. Finally, putting it all together and see what it actually means in Eli Drinkwitz's third uh, SEC season as Missouri's head coach. The excitement's in the air. It is palpable. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, I'm ready for Mizzou to actually play a football game. And then once we get to football games, I'm going to say I'm actually ready for Mizzou to play a meaningful Mm -hmm. game. And thankfully, those are coming sooner rather than later in this schedule. So I am looking forward to that. You remember the years, Nate? This wasn't that long ago now. Um, But do you remember years where we would get weeks into the season and you would have no idea what kind of team Mizzou had because they just like didn't play real teams the first four weeks of the season? (laughs) I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I don't miss that at all. You'd get to October and you'd say, all right, <laughs> season begins now. <laughs> well, I again, this goes down to our uh, difference in philosophy on how you schedule football games. I loved that stuff. I loved being 4-0 headed into October and like, yeah, I don't know what we actually are, but I know we've won four games. So, ha ha. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, then you finish I, the season two and eight and you're like, oh, no, this is not what I was anticipating. Well, not possible, but I understand what you're saying. Two and yeah, six. Touche. Yeah. Two and six. You know what I mean. Math is hard. <laughs> Semantics. Uh, we're in mid-season form here. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I know what you mean. But, I, I mean, again, if I was college football czar, I would say that every single league had to start with their four non-conference games to start off the year. Really? Yep. And then you would get into 
your your conference games into October because I would I, say you're not allowed to start with more than two non-con games. Okay, and then you immediately have to get into your conference games. Interesting, interesting. No, I think I you know. you get two non-con games and one of those two at the beginning of the year has to be a Power Five. Oh, that would be my my scheduling. God. You just really do not want teams like Missouri to win football games. Really, really I, no, I do. I just want to see good football early. I know like I, know. I, I think that it is problematic that for so many years you didn't get meaningful games until October. And now I love that like week zero, you've got a couple at least meaningful football games yeah. that we're going to be able to watch um, opening weekend. Like in the SEC, you're going to have some fun games that you can watch. And I think it's good that those games are kind of scattered throughout the season as opposed to com- being completely backloaded. You're always going to have good conference games late in the season. That's just going to happen by virtue of the fact that you've got teams that are good that are in the same conference. But like this weekend, having the ability to watch, or next weekend, I guess, rather, having the ability to watch like Oregon versus Georgia, that's going to be awesome, dude. Like That's great. Cincinnati, Arkansas, that's going to be a fun game for everybody to be able to watch. I'm glad we've got that stuff early on in the season or finding out early, like is Florida going to be atrocious or are they going to be competitive and have a real shot to be able to at least make things interesting against Utah? That stuff didn't happen years ago. Not in non-con games this early in the season. Yeah. But teams aren't even spooled up yet, man. Like that's cool and professional league. I get that. But like college, college football players are not perfect and they are not professionals and they, as much as the, uh, they are, you know, have provided the professional level care and training, they it takes them a little bit to get going. You know, think of how many great teams that it finished very, very strong that were undone by a untimely loss at the beginning because they either played another power five opponent that was just as capable as they were, or a conference game, and they were just they just hadn't didn't have the pieces together. Now I understand it's the on the coaching works in staff. Reverse, though. It, the, the same thing. Sometimes has to they'll work. say like at the end of the year we'll get to the you know tenth week of the season and you'll hear the um, the college football playoff committee come out and say hey listen the team that they are right now is not the same team that they were in week one and because they played a non conference opponent that was ranked in the top ten at the time we're giving them a little bit more leeway. So I actually think it can work in reverse as well, where those what early season games. team has gotten that credit? <laughs> I can't think of a single team who's been given that credit that got into the playoff. I'd have to go back through, but I know at least recently there's been, I think, multiple where you get to the end of the season and they had an early season loss and it didn't hurt them the way that it otherwise would have. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is Ohio State in that very, 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 very first playoff year when they lost to Virginia tech and the other thing is like this impacts so few, such few teams and we already know who they are. There's like six of them that are actually competing for anything meaningful. But like who really cares about that? You know, (laughs) expand the playoff. Exactly. (sighs) Yeah. Remember Stanford in the body clock. I think that was 2014. Do you remember that at all? I don't think I do. I remember a few years ago, there was a game between like 2015. They went to Stanford in like week one or week two. And barely lost. And Northwestern, that was like number 13 team in the country, I think they ended up being. But they forgave Stanford. They kept ranking Stanford relatively high throughout the year because they're like, well, Stanford's body clocks were different because they were <laughs> central time instead of uh, Pacific time. Uh, and then, of course, Stanford proceeded to lose to USC and Notre Dame to close out the season. And, and Michigan, and, uh, or yeah, Michigan State too, I think. So, like, you know, it's, it's kind of what it is, but... Uh, 
Yeah, body. That's the other thing is like nobody knows who's actually good right now. No. And we're not going to know for like another six weeks because it's always we kind of do the transitive properties early on in the season. Too many. Where it's like, hey, you know, uh, week one. Ohio State beat Notre Dame and that's a really big win. And so Ohio State's clearly good. And then like four weeks from now, uh, Notre Dame, I don't know if this is going to be the case, of course, but just as an example, because that's a big game early on. Um, four weeks from now, Notre Dame's like one in two and Ohio State's like struggling to beat their week three non-con opponent. And we're like, oh, we're, we're both of those teams underwhelming. <laughs> that that's that, that's my favorite is when we look Man. back like last year, didn't Notre Dame have that against like Florida State or something? Who was it that they played early on? I remember uh, there was one of those games where it was like Florida State played somebody and it was like a double overtime game or something. And then both of the teams ended up being so un- completely underwhelming. Well, that was that was Florida State and UCF, if I remember correctly, um, because UCF. It, it, no, it was it was Notre Dame, Florida State last year, week one. Notre Dame played them and went to overtime against them. They? And then by the end of the year, I, I remembered it incorrectly. By the end of the year, Notre Dame was 11 and one and Florida State was just awful. <laughs> so you, you're like, oh, Florida State. Interesting. No, no. <laughs> well, I remember uh, 2016 when Texas and Notre Dame played like the game of the year. That's yes. That's that is the perfect example. of. And this. then both yes. teams were just ass for the rest of the season. <laughs> yep. Yep. Those that's the game. That's the double overtime game that I was thinking of. Yep. God, that was a great, I was in Thailand and it was butt crack dawn and I was following on Twitter. I was like, this game is incredible. (laughs) It was awesome. And then it meant nothing. So I, that's the great thing about it, man. If you put those games early in the season, we don't know that both teams are ass (laughs) and and we can just enjoy the fact (laughs) that we've got two name brand colleges that are playing head to head and I'll be damned. This is fun. Well, look, college football is always fun. It's the funnest at the beginning. And then it starts getting less fun when the inevitable cream. So play good games at the beginning. Eh. we're on the same page go yeah. go team nate we're on the same page <laughs> keep the interest high <laughs> keep more teams of 4-0 no longer that's what i'm talking about Touché. anyway mizzou uh this is a missouri football podcast hello welcome <laughs> um <laughs> we, we are we are in game week actually game prep week uh the, the fall camp is basically done uh for now i mean they're still practicing obviously but for now what they are looking at is is preparing for louisiana tech so uh, spots are probably pretty much locked down. Uh, staff definitely knows they're too deep, definitely knows the guys they like. Now it's just getting reps, and now it's you know installing packages and getting ready for, for the Bulldogs from Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, so along those lines, we are no longer in a position where players can earn their number. It's more of here's your number. You ran out of time to earn it because you're not good enough to earn it during practice. And uh, we've got a couple of scholarship players that finally earned their number. Uh, we'll start off the lowest, uh, move to the highest. Uh, Demarion Peanut, Houston, wide receiver, Juco wide receiver, will be number 18 for this year. Uh, DJ Weselak, who I think is back on the field, or at least fought through the sickness. He is uh, wearing the old Chase Kaufman. He will be number 45 for this season. Uh, Makai Lee, the Juco offensive lineman, is number 58. Uh, Valen Erickson, the giant tackle out of Chicago, will be number 71. Tristan Wilson, the middle Missouri mauler, will be 73. And then Curtis Piegler, who's maybe the most, the giantest freshman you've ever seen, uh, will be wearing number 77. So we got that out of the way. Uh, They got their numbers. We'll see what that means for their playing time uh, as we go through the season. The big one, uh, and we talked about this last week, is Jamarian Wayne was wearing number 19. Oh, before we get there. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Because I've got thoughts on that, of course. But uh, DJ Westlock has to get a new number. Like, he, you can't, if you're going to be a pass rusher, you can't accept 45. 
you have to tell them this has been a mistake. There's something wrong here. Um, this is for linebackers, and I I can't be wearing number 45 if I'm going to be bending the edge as an edge rusher. That is unacceptable. Why do you have such bad takes on jersey numbers? <laughs> it blows my mind. We put 34 on Sheldon Richardson. We put 85 on Alden Smith. We put three on on on. Uh, who else do we put this on? I mean, gosh, who was Tommy Chavis wore thirty eight? No, forty three. He wore. See, but those are all better than forty five. Every number What's you've said so 45? far better than forty five. Forty five is a bad number. Isaac Thompson wearing forty three, bad number. That's a play. That's a placeholder. You know it. <laughs> He's I, I do, and that's why, like, I'm telling you, both of them have to. They have to trade. They they have to get a new number. So it was Chase Coffin wearing forty five. Did that just make you grind your gears? Uh, it's different because he's a tight end. It, I, I didn't love it. Don't get me wrong. No, Did not no. love that. But like, if you're going to be an edge rusher, especially at the college level, it, you've got to be like, either you're getting weird with it and we're going into the eighties, which I don't love that either, to be totally honest with you, but like nineties or l- below the twenties, that's where you've got to be. If you're an edge rusher. Below the 20s. Okay. Okay. Like Trajan Jeffcoat 18. Good number. Good number by Trajan Jeffcoat. Good work there. <laughs> good job, man. Equipment management team. I've Darius always... Robinson, number six, good number. Tyrone Hopper, number five, great number. Into Do you like the number that. zeros? Do you like the the zero? Not like, a huge fan, but I can yeah. live with it. Jaden Jernigan, number zero, yeah. I can live with that. That's better than number forty-five, significantly better. Forty-five Missouri, just looks horrible. Missouri has not had good luck with number zero. The first time they had zero, that was Trey Williams. He did not have a good year, and then he transferred to Arkansas and had a great year. And then last year was Akeel Byers. So uh-huh. good luck, Jaden. Break, break the curse. Um, the weird thing about Mizzou is that there's too many damn retired numbers that you've got, what, 130 players on the roster, and you have 99 numbers to hand out. And you can't do, like, 23, 43, 44, 47, and 83. So, like, you have to double up. <laughs> it's not even a choice. Um, and like, I love pitching Paul Chrisman. I think he's great. You know, obviously we love Kellen Winslow around these parts, but like Missouri has too many retired numbers. It makes it very difficult to give people uh, enough numbers to go around. So, um, what were we even talking about? Oh my God. Numbers. Sorry. Numbers, I right. got you off. DJ Westlock. He's got to get a new number. We're working yeah, on okay. that, but yeah. Jamarian Wayne, Jamarian Wayne. Right. So he was, he was number 19. Uh, when he was going to be a receiver. Um, And then they switched him to safety. Well, well, I'm not going to assume. If you don't know, there is a rule in certainly college football, but I think in most sports, that you cannot have two players on the field at the same time with the same number. Mm -hmm. And uh, Drayden Norwood, the Texas A&M transfer corner, was wearing number 19 in the spring. So if Jamarian Wayne wants to play defense, he could not be number 19. That had to change. We all kind of figured that out. Cool. The cool thing is that uh, every year, Missouri uh, players and staff meet with uh, Lonnie O'Neill, who is the father of Aaron O'Neill, who is the Missouri football player who died during spring workouts in 2005. Uh, He wore number 25. He was from St. Louis. He was a linebacker from Parkway North. Um, And he passed away uh, after uh, passing away from uh, viral meningitis, I think. And he had a sickle cell trait, which made uh, complications that he died from. Uh, so in honor of Aaron O'Neill, Missouri uh, anoints a player 
usually from St. Louis, usually a linebacker, to wear the number 25 for a season. Last year was a little different, right? We had Blaze Aldridge, who was a linebacker, but he was from Florida, uh, who wore the number 25 for his only year on campus. This year, um, after talking with Mr. O'Neill, um, the players decided to to have Jamarian Wayne from Parkway West in St. Louis wear the number 25. So we figured out the night the double 19s on defense problem. Jamarian Wayne from St. Louis playing safety will wear number 25 and carry on that tradition. And I think the cool thing is, is that kind of no matter who you are, where you've come from, it continues the story. It does. It is an honor to wear that and to keep the memory of Aaron O'Neill alive. And Jamarian Wayne gets gets that honor. I think it's really cool the way that Eli Drinkwitz did it. Um, I, I think some of the stuff that he does is like kind of hokey, like the number reveal thing. It's like, okay, I get it. Uh, teams do this. Like Duke makes you earn your number and like you lose your chair at your locker if you don't practice hard. Like I get it. All of this stuff is tried and true. It's been passed down for generations. I just think at this point in time, it's 2022, like, we know everybody's going to get a number and whether they earn it or not, eventually you run out of time. Right. Mm -hmm. But neither here nor there. I think what he did with this was really cool. So Lonnie O'Neill was able to come speak with the team. He shared Aaron's story. Eight former players also, um, according to Drinkwitz, came and talked with the team about Aaron O'Neill's story. The team voted for Jamarian Wayne to wear the number um, I just, I think they went about it in the right way. And I think sometimes like it's been so long now that like Jamarian Wayne was what a year one old? or two years old. I think it was a happened. year old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, so a lot of these guys aren't even familiar with the story when they first get to Mizzou. So I do think it's really important that people who were like close to Aaron O'Neill or that understood the gravity of the situation or come back to continue to pass on the story and the legacy of what it means to wear the number 25 and why it's an important thing. Because the further you get away from that, the fewer people are in not just the football program, but just like at Mizzou that were there when all of this took place. Like the coaches have all ch turned over. Mm -hmm. The sports information department has turned over. The mm -hmm. AD is not the same as it was then. We've gone through multiple since then. Like it's, it's completely turned over. Most of the people there probably didn't know Aaron O'Neill. So I think it's really cool the way that Eli Drinkwitz went about this. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for kind of like, quote unquote, getting it with mm -hmm. this. Because I think sometimes we fall so much for the, he's got the mustache now. Here's the last funny thing he said. Like, this is something that he did is act that's actually pretty cool. And I just wanted to take a, a little bit of a detour here to talk about, like, I, I got to give Eli Drinkwitz his, prop, his props on this. I, I think he went about it the right way. This is like the tasteful way, if you want to, if you, if you want to say it that way. I mean, he, he does have his moments. Uh, think yeah. back to 2020 uh, when he uh, had his entire team. Uh, walk from the facilities to register to vote. Yeah. Um, then had that moment of silence during, I think that was the summer of, of 2020 and everything that was going on then. So like he has his moments of like sincerity, <laughs> like doing the right thing. Uh, you know, that, that is, that is nice. Cause he is kind of just a giant goofball at some point, but um, yeah, he definitely did well. He definitely did well. So, uh, you know, kudos to Jamarian Wayne. It's it's awesome. Uh, it, it's not a burden. It is an honor. 
uh, and hopefully he plays well and, and represents Aaron O'Neill on the field and off it as well. He is joining a uh, a growing fraternity of, of very good players who've been able to wear the number. Uh, so that is that is very cool. Uh, do, you, do you remember the 2008 season when every graduating senior or, well, a couple of graduating seniors wore the number 25 throughout yeah. the year? Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. It was really weird to see Chase Daniel wear 25. I can't say hmm. that. And then they lost Oklahoma to Oklahoma State that that night as well, but that's not the point. Um, it is cool, and like there's I, there's certainly not like some lockbox you know that behind a safe that you get the key to when you become the AD or the coach, and like oh come this way you'll hear the story. Like no, it's something that you have to actually work at finding out. Uh, but it is Aaron O'Neill will always be part of this program. Uh, that's that's never going to go away, and the fact that multiple uh, regimes have embraced this and and done the, done it the right way is. Uh, it was very cool to see. So, um, so that's the number talk. Let's talk about some depth hit that we have taken as a team, and specifically the linebackers. Uh, a couple days ago, during his press conference, Eli Drinkwood said that Carmichael Glass, the freshman linebacker, had uh, surgery on an injury that he got during his senior year of football last year, and he will miss the entire season. And Chuck Hicks is also going to miss the season with an injury. Which sucks uh, for both kids. Now, Carmichael Glass is a freshman. Uh, he's got you know, four more years to play. So, I mean, it, it's not great for him, but he's got some time. Hurts a little bit more for Mr. Hicks out of San Diego, California. This would be his, his redshirt senior year. He does have the option to take that COVID bonus year next year if he wants. At the same time, when you're this old and you have – played 11 games in your five-year career, it's like, okay, really we're hoping he could see the field and he's not going to be able to do that this year, which stinks. But let's talk about the depth. When Blake Baker spoke with the media uh, last week, he said that he wanted to have five linebackers to be able to reliably rotate in at the two linebacker spots, the 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 Will and the Mike spot in the, his 4-2-5. You only need two on the field, but he wants five deep. Well, you just lost two of them. So here are your options. We can probably put in stone Tyron Hopper is going to start. Now, again, this is barring injury. Tyron Hopper is going to start. I'm assuming Chad Bailey is going to get the start as well. Mm-hmm. Behind that, Devin Nicholson, for sure. He played a lot at the beginning of the year. Still got snaps as the year went on. Obviously fewer as Chad Bailey rose in prominence. But he is definitely a third option. Behind that? It's Will Norris, Devin Nicholson, Damian Wilson, and Zach Lovett and Xavier Simmons. So you have some options, but all those guys are, are well, they're there. <laughs> um, I, BK, what do we make of the linebacker depth, and who do you think is going to be those three, four, five in the rotation? Uh, I, I make of it that you've got a lot of guys that play the star position. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that what you could end up seeing is maybe some of those guys that play star. If it's a passing down, maybe they kick inside and play linebacker. You know, if you need depth at that spot, you can use some of that safety slash nickel slash star depth to be able to play there. And I think that's probably what they're going to have to do because right now it's really, you mentioned it just Damian will, or excuse me, Devin Nicholson that you feel good about at that spot. I think Damian Wilson, they seem to speak highly of. We just haven't seen really much of him on the field, so it's hard to speak with any sort of authority on whether or not he's ready for that kind of a role. And mm-hmm. then I think you're looking at, like, if they do want five, if that's the number that they're searching for, 
Zach Lovett and Xavier Simmons are the two that'll probably be battling it out for that final spot out of the five. But again, if you're if they went into a game and God forbid Bailey's down, Wilson's down, and they don't trust Lovett or Simmons, I think what you would see is like it'd be Hopper and Nicholson probably as your starters, and then if anything happened, they would go to one of those safeties at linebacker. So I mean, you go back to what you hear from camp because that's all you can really rely on. Damian Wilson, or Day-Day, as Coach Baker calls him, had multiple instances of them saying that he was stepping up and, and making an impact in practice. Good. Cool. He's a redshirt freshman, number 10, six foot two, twenty-three. You could see him maybe spell Tyron Hopper or fill it in the mic. I don't know. But he, that's a name. Zach Lovett had a lot of talk last year, heading into 2021. Didn't really see the field much. Was in one game for eight snaps. Didn't really log any stats, so... You know, take of that as what you will, but you didn't really hear his name either. Xavier Simmons was pretty quiet. Will Norris was pretty quiet. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of maybe bumping in like a Dalen Carnell um, or a Martez Manuel and having Dalen Carnell play kind of the higher higher level star. Um, but yeah, that, uh, for for a position that only has two guys in the field at the time, it, it's it's perilously th- perilously thin, and we haven't even started the season yet, which. I don't know. Does that make you concerned at all for the season, or is it just kind of this is how it goes? It's kind of how it goes. The other thing is, I, I didn't mention him before, but if he's going to wear the number 45 and look like a linebacker, like maybe DJ Weselak just kicks back to linebacker. You know, I don't know if he's, he's ready for that. You he, know? like you mentioned, was one of the last guys to get a get a number. It's a little different with him because it was because he wasn't necessarily on the field. But if they needed it in a pinch, maybe he could be somebody that does it. So Again, I we knew linebacker was going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knew if Chuck Hicks was any good. And anybody that says that they they did one way or the other definitively is just lying to you. <laughs> um and it stinks that you've got another guy in Carmichael Glass that's going to be out for the year, but the reality was he wasn't going to factor into this top 5 most likely either. So, it's really just Chuck Hicks. And if Chuck Hicks is somebody that if he goes down, I'm now suddenly changing my expectations for the season for Mizzou football. Like we got bigger issues here. Mm-hmm. And I think it speaks more to the lack of depth that they already had at the position. And that's how I felt. I don't know about you, Nate, but when I did my the, the preview that we did on the flagship site, RockingNation.com, we did the roundtable on the linebackers. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that people seemed to be pretty high on the linebackers. I love Hopper and Bailey, and I am a like firm believer that those guys are going to be excellent for Mizzou this year. I think it's one of the best starting duos that you've had a linebacker basically since they had like two studs at the position. Behind that, I know nothing about any of these guys, nope. and I watch a lot of Mizzou football. I rewatch every game. I don't know how anybody could possibly know anything about these guys because you just you don't watch them. You, they don't get on the field. Devin Nicholson got on the field. It didn't go well. So we kind of know what that is. And the answers are not positive. So I don't know. It is it is it concerning? Yeah, but it was already a concerning position for me. I mean, DJ Smith's linebackers were kind of a mixed bag last year, but they only played three. Blaze Aldridge mm-hmm. had 655 snaps. Devin Nicholson had 498. Chad Bailey had 472. Jamie Petway, who transferred away halfway mm. through the year, was your next leading linebacker in snaps with 82. After that, Damian Wilson had his, and Chuck Hicks saw the field a little bit, and that was it. 
So they've played three before. Now they got really lucky with with injuries last year. No one was really injured from the linebacking group and certainly didn't miss significant time. You cannot bank on that, but they have run a very tight rotation at linebacker before, and it was okay. You'd like some more options to mix it up and get some experience, but yeah, I, I just I like our linebackers. I'm like you. I also don't think really the defense hinges on Agreed. linebacker play. I think it's going to be mostly on the safeties and what our defensive ends can do. And if the defensive tackles aren't just a total mosh pit getting moved out from the middle. So I don't know. I think that's one of the downsides of four, two, five is linebacker gets de-emphasized. If you have two good ones, obviously it makes a difference, but if you don't have a lot of depth, like, so what? Okay. So <laughs> just as an example of what you're talking about there, Nate, mm-hmm. if you go back to the 2018 Mizzou defense. That was the team that finished eight and five that season. Right. And you look at what the sure. defense was yeah. and it was fine. Um, that year you had Kale Garrett, Therese Hall as your top two linebackers. Really good. Feel great about that. Mm-hmm. After that, it was Brandon Lee. And like, I like Brandon Lee. He's a perfectly fine player. Brandon Lee could be this year what you get out of Damian Wilson or Devin Nicholson. Those guys could be Brandon Lee. And then mm-hmm. the next linebacker on the team was, uh, I legitimately don't even know. I mean, like there, there was basically nobody else that, got Jamal Brooks gets six tackles on the year. So if you do actually. So Nick Bolton was just special. Oh, he, he was there. Right? He had 10, 10 tackles. So he was, he was your next guy yeah. up, but he was a non-factor defensively. Yeah. If you need to go to your fourth and fifth linebackers, there's bigger problems here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree, but it'll be really interesting to see how the position is managed as we go through the year. Uh, hope for good injury luck once again, and we'll see who the next man up is. Speaking of next man up, interesting story out of uh, Gabe DeArmond from Power Mizzou. Um, this is long enough past that I think we can talk about it. Um, there is a rumor going around that uh, Marcus Clark, who is a cornerback, corner uh, from Miami, the the U is transferring away from the Hurricanes. He is in the transfer portal. Uh, He did that in the middle of fall camp. Uh, The rumor is that Mizzou is interested and Marcus Clark is interested in Mizzou. Okay, couple thoughts on this one. Number one, I have talked, we have talked, (laughs) we should all be aware. Uh, Cornerback, that entire group, very, very young. Uh, Nary a junior or older amongst them. All of them are three years of, of college experience or less. And, uh, you know, what couple are freshmen and one of them didn't even see the field at A&M last year. So a lot of unproven athleticism. Got it. Cool. Bringing in an experienced piece like Marcus Clark. I understand the benefit, but at the same time, number one, how many transfers are you going to bring in <laughs> to cover up the great recruiting classes that you brought in? And number two, is this a story of we have no faith in our cornerbacks and we need more depth or just somebody else to play? Or is this just we need to bring in more guys? End of story. There you go. So it's interesting. I will start out by saying my initial reaction was, oh, we're, we're doing this again. OK, cool. Awesome. Another cornerback transfer. Um, secondarily, though, after I had a little bit of a, a little bit of time to think more about it, I wonder if some of this is just they look at it and they say, all right, so Chris Abrams drain 
right, wrong, and different is getting some hype for the NFL as a potential slot corner. We'll see. I'm not really buying it, but maybe he ends up leaving after the year. Uh, Enos Rakestraw just went through a, a significant injury. Not totally sure how he's going to be able to respond to that, but we're hoping that he's going to be all right. DJ Jackson, like what you saw last year, but I mean, it was very small sample size and there were ups and downs with that. And then, as you mentioned, everybody else, we have no idea if they're a good corner or not. No idea. And maybe the team isn't quite so sure either. So you look at all of that and you kind of assess the situation. And you say to yourself, hey, there's this guy that's played a lot of power five football that was down at Miami that seemed pretty talented. Are we interested in him? Sure. Yeah, let's try to upgrade. And then he says, oh, I'm actually interested in maybe coming there, too. And that's how you get to where we are today. And we have no idea what the level of interest is. But I think that's probably the extent of what's gone into this. Now, I, I do think and I pushed back on you at the beginning on this, Nate, and I got to give you your credit because you were on it early. I do think there comes a time where it needs to stop being we are going to the portal portal to plug all of these holes every year. And eventually you have to find a sustainable model of the freshmen that we're bringing in should be the foundation of what we're building. And we're, we're kind of getting to that point, like not this season, but next year, it should be the last two recruiting classes and this upcoming one start to become the foundation of the team. And I, I mentioned to you the other day, but like, if you look at the defensive side of the ball, the vast majority of the guys that are going to see the field this year are either Barry Odom recruits or transfers. Mm -hmm. At some point, and a lot of the really good players that we talked so much about in the last couple of recruiting classes were along the defensive line and in the secondary. At some point, those dudes got to start seeing the field. And when you keep burying them on the depth chart, we know how it goes. Some of them are going to transfer. Some of them are just going to continue being passed up, and then maybe they finally see the field as a senior, and then you say to yourself, hey, dummy, how come they didn't see the field sooner? Like, that that's going to happen on some of these guys. And you're going to have a situation where you're kicking yourself mm -hmm. because you waited four years to get them on the field. So I hope that doesn't happen. I'm not saying this is the end of the world because if you can upgrade at that specific position, maybe you do it. That's one of the spots where I don't have a big issue with it because of the lack of experience that you have there. But just as a bigger picture conceptual conversation, dude, eventually they got to start leaning on some of these guys that they brought in to be good players. You just got to find out if they can do that or not. Yeah. Now, obviously, <clears throat> Coach Clark, or sorry, <laughs> Coach, Coach Baker knows Marcus Clark yep. from his Miami days. There's an aspect of that. Uh, last year, Clark had 271 snaps, 14 total tackles, uh, Three passes broken up, one interception, and a fumble recovery. So pretty decent and limited um, sample size. Definitely a rotational piece, and it sounds like he wasn't going to be seeing the field much this year. So, okay. Here's another question. Uh, number one, he's not playing this year, or else you're going to have to get a waiver yep. and hope that the NCAA signs off on it. Um, so you could be adding a piece for, for not this year but for the future, which, again, if you think Cad's going to leave or someone's going to transfer, sure, fine. Then we get to the scholarship part, which is kind of important, too. Now, this is a part that I will admit I am in the dark, but based off of what I've been keeping track, I'm fairly certain they're still at 87. Again, this is college football, and there's going to be some grossness that gets associated with it. And I guarantee 
that either someone's going to transfer, someone's going to retire from football, or someone's scholarship has been taken away. Guarantee you also that the Missouri Twitter handle is not going to tweet about, we took away a scholarship <laughs> from a kid. So like you're not going to know um, <laughs> overtly that that happens. Um, but I again, based off of what I know and what I'm assuming, they are at 87. Bringing in another scholarship player puts you at 88. Can they get to 85 before the game start? Yes, absolutely. They'll find a way to do it. But that means someone's leaving or a scholarship is getting yanked from somebody who currently has one. So do you want to do that for a player who's not going to see the field in 22? I don't know. I'm not in the room. I'm not a coach. I don't know the situation. I understand the logic of bringing in an experience piece. But again, he's not going to play this year. So what's it? What are you really doing? I, I mean, if I'm so, I'm going to defend the team for a second, even though this is just to play devil's advocate because I'm typically I'm kind of on your side on this thing. But to present the other side, I would guess what they would tell you is we're upgrading, like we're we're bringing in a guy that we think is a good football player, and we'll figure out the rest later. You know, and. I think that they view it as scholarships be damned. This guy's better than whoever our 85th scholarship player is right now. And we know that there's going to be somebody that transfers before the start of the season anyways. So right, wrong or indifferent. I think that's probably what their explanation would be to you if you got them off the record, because they would, of course, never say that on the record. Yeah, definitely not. It'll be interesting. Of course, interest does not equal actual transfer, so... We don't know when he's going to announce his transfer destination. We don't know where uh, Missouri ranks. I think Kansas is in the mix as well. So, like, he's got options. Uh, but we will we will find out. Okay. So then there is real football being played uh, this Saturday. I posted up the Week 0 uh, betting odds for the games that are played that have actual uh, odds posted. Obviously, that does not include FCS games although there are some actually pretty good fcs games playing uh, on saturday check those out but uh for the ones that are are you know fbs against fbs there's a couple out there so you could take a look at that but uh, vanderbilt does play this week they go to hawaii um basically on vacation to play the warriors uh which is pretty cool i think it's mostly a vacation uh the curious thing about week zero was that it was initially uh, instigated for teams who have to travel to Hawaii to play. It means you've got travel time baked in. Usually you play Hawaii, then you get the next week off, or you get the week off before Hawaii, play Hawaii, and then you know, you've know you got that built-in travel time, either going there or coming back. Um, Vanderbilt <laughs> is using their bye week in the middle of the season, so they flew out last uh, last week before the season's even started. They've been in Hawaii for this entire week. They play Hawaii, then turn around, come home, and play Elon. Um, so, which is awesome. Okay. I love that. Good for them. It's cool. Good for them. Yeah. Hopefully, you win both. Um, but well, it's, well, I mean, you, you saw what happened last year. I'm East Tennessee. Yes. Um, but, I was thinking more of the Hawaii one. Well, look, neither is great. Okay, <laughs> neither is great. But let's talk about some over-under on win projections, uh, win totals for each SEC team, because, hey, gambling's a thing, football's a thing, let's put the two together. So, BK, you got a piece coming out this week talking about over-under on teams. Do you want to just kind of go, do you want to go by your categories, or do you want to go by team as far as, like, who you think is going to be over? Dealer's choice. What would you prefer, man? We'll take it either way. 
Well, let's start with the ones that you are feeling feisty about and taking the over. Okay. Um, we'll start with here. Let me let me list these out. So we've got this group: Ole Miss, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Auburn, and Missouri. Ole Miss, they're over under a set at seven and a half. That's same for Tennessee. Uh, and then Mississippi State and Auburn are at six and a half games, and Missouri is at five and a half games. Now you th- you are thinking about taking the over on all of these teams. Why is that? So here's the f- like front end of it. I didn't want to put like one or two teams in any individual category. So I've got the overs, the unders, and the teams that I'm just like not touching because there's no value whatsoever on them. So I tried to put at least four in each of these individual categories, to like kind of even it out. So that way I've got overs, unders, and then somewhere in between. And that's kind of how it plays out in the season, right? You get to the season and some teams exceed expectations. Others will underperform expectations and so on. So uh, let's start with the team that I I really like in this one, and that's Ole Miss. I understand that they're going to be without Matt Corral. They have a good amount of returning production coming back. They also, when you look at the way that they were able to plug a bunch of their holes on their roster, man, there are a ton of transfers coming into Ole Miss. Now, that could go either way. It could be a situation where it implodes and the team just isn't as good as we're expecting it to be because the pieces were on other rosters and then when they get there, it doesn't coalesce. That's entirely possible. But I think the upside here is good enough that when you look at their schedule, I think they're a team worth betting on the over. So this season, the first seven games or so of their schedule, Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa, Vanderbilt, Auburn, LSU. Now, part of this is I'm lower on Auburn and LSU probably than expectations going into the season. But I view most of those as at a minimum being winnable games for them. So you go into like the second half of the season and you're feeling really good about going over seven and a half. You'd have to probably pull off an upset here or there. But I think Ole Miss is a team that's worth maybe taking a bet on. What do you think about them going into this season, Nate? I love Lane Kiffin. That's another part is like, I just really, I not only do I enjoy him as a character, I think he's a really good coach. He is. He absolutely is. Not at Ole Miss or sorry, not at USC, but definitely at, uh, at Ole Miss. Um, just, I'm not saying it doesn't matter who's the quarterback, but it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Like he's taken all sorts of quarterbacks and making them, make them look awesome. So, you know, you talk about how how this team's going to open up. Your first four, Troy, Central Arkansas, at Georgia Tech, Tulsa. Okay, 4-0. 4-0 heading into October. Get Kentucky at home. I think Kentucky is a house of cards this year. I don't. I think they're still good, don't get me wrong, but they're not nearly like top 10 good as some people are thinking. Agreed. So I think Ole Miss tags them at home. You're at Vanderbilt. Uh, that should be another win. So what? That's six right there. Auburn, LSU, one of those you're going to win. And then, you know, get Mississippi State at the end. That's tough. I I see seven, but, you know, God, it's not crazy to think that they win eight. I'm with you on that. I can I can get on board with them beating Auburn and LSU and being getting eight wins. I'm on I'm on board with that. So the other thing here is like. Vegas is really good at this. <laughs> they means, are very good. That you know, is, and they, yeah. they set the lines mostly where they're supposed to be. So the reality is this. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're saying to yourself, like, what do I bet on? Bet on an individual game and try to find yeah. ones where there is value. There's not a lot of it by the end of the week, the opening lines. And that's what Nate does. 
on the website. Those are where you get your best lines. By the end of the week, most of them are pretty well set uh, based on what the market should be at. But at the beginning of the week, you'll get decent lines sometimes, and that's where you can kind of attack them. But these future bets, they're low propositions, and most of them are not going to give you a high payout. But they're fun nonetheless, and that's what we're here for. So uh, the other one that I wanted to get into is uh, Mizzou. I think the line's just too low, man. I, I really do. And maybe this is me being a homer. I think the line should be set at six or six and a half. I think yeah. six feels right to me if I was setting the line for them. At five and a half, I just think there's real value on taking the over. This is actually one of the bets. Like, Forget being a Mizzou, Mizzou alum, Mizzou fan, Mizzou analyst. I think this is actually a good bet to take the over on because mm-hmm. you already have built in, hopefully, fingers crossed, should be wins against Louisiana Tech, Abilene Christian, Vanderbilt, and New Mexico State. So you only have to win two other games throughout the entire rest of your schedule to be able to get the over. I think there is legitimate value on the over on Mizzou at five and a half. I mean, I've seen seen people legit, like writers say Missouri's going to go four and eight. Yeah, it's just, it's wild. You would have to believe that they are as bad as Vanderbilt, and they are not as bad as Vanderbilt. They're not. They're not. So I I understand five and a half because... If you don't pay attention, or you didn't pay attention to the second half of Missouri football last year, which I don't blame you if you didn't, <laughs> if you're not a Missouri fan, like I get it. You just assume they stunk and they continue to stink, and like you didn't see the improvement. Now they overhauled the defensive staff. We got a new coordinator, brought in a bunch of transfers. I see that. I understand that. But you're telling me they can't win two SEC games? They won three last year, and that was a worse. That was a terrible team, according to everybody on the outside. So yeah, I think again, I sit at seven and five. I think that's where Missouri is, and that's two games over where where the the over under is being set. So I, I I'd hammer the over uh, if you can find that anywhere. I would take it. Uh, obviously, this is assuming no catastrophic losses or injuries or anything like that. But that that does seem crazy low, even if Vegas is good at this. So the other one um, that I think is worth at least spending a, a minute on is Mississippi State. Okay. So Mississippi State is set at six and a half. And I think it is similar to the Mizzou one where nobody actually watched Mississippi State last year because they were just kind of like in the middle. And mm-hmm. they were a top 50, top 35 team basically on S&P Plus, both mm-hmm. offensively and defensively. So you look at where they're at going into this season They've got a kind of intriguing schedule, especially early on. You got Memphis, Arizona, LSU, then Bowling Green. And then you've just got this gauntlet in the middle of the season. Texas A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, and Georgia are like right sandwiched in the middle. So I don't, I'm going to be totally upfront and honest. I don't really know what to expect out of this team right, right now. But they return a bleep ton of production. They're one of the top in the SEC in terms of returning production going into the year. Uh, They were a team that last year uh, of their five losses last season, the vast majority were or three of their five losses last year were by one score. Most of the time, that is something that can kind of even itself out. So I I do like the over on Mississippi State going into this season as well. Man, I see five guaranteed wins. I'm trying to find two more. I can get you one more. I think uh, I would take the under. You would? I would, yeah. I just, that four-game slate of A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky. It's tough. Bama, off. Auburn, you'll probably win. But then Georgia, it's like, 
jeez, man, being in the SEC West sucks. Yeah, I, I, it's really like it's a bet against Kentucky. That's what this is. Yes. That, I, yeah. I think a lot of what I'm doing here is bets against Kentucky. I'm shorting them. <laughs> sure. And if you're doing that, it does end up basically handing you one other win to to play with yeah. on some of these middling teams. Because a lot of the SEC yeah. this year is is somewhere in this range, right? They're, they're yeah. going to finish somewhere between six and nine wins. And it's a matter of how they end up sorting themselves out that that'll kind of tell you where to go. And by the way, I, I didn't mention them, but uh, Tennessee, I, I think Tennessee is actually good this year. Yeah, it's definitely it, in the over on that one. It's the first time in a in a while that I have actually bought the hype going into the season. The vast majority of the time, I will take the under on them compared to whatever the over under is set at. Uh, this year, I actually think they're like legitimately good, and they have a quarterback who could compete for the Heisman Trophy, and nobody seems to be talking about him. Ball State, Pitt, Akron, Florida. They're four and zero at LSU. That's five and zero. Heading into Bama, that's going to be your Saturday night game. Let's call it five and one. Tennessee Martin right after that. That's six and one. Mm-hmm. Then Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, Vandy. Yeah, absolutely. That's eight wins. That's an eight win team. I, I think they I'd have to go back through. I I think they've got a chance. And I'll, I mentioned this at the, the end. Um, if you want a hot take my long shot bet, I'm not betting on them to do this. So let's put this out there at, on the front end. I don't think this will actually happen. However, there's no value on anybody to win the SEC. Because it's Alabama, you have to bet $150 to win $100. <laughs> and on Georgia, you have to bet $100 to win $150. There's no real value on that. It There's just too much risk, not enough value. But if you wanted to find value, it's on Tennessee. 50 to 1 to win the SEC this year. That's the bet that I would make. Hmm. I don't think that's actually going to happen, but they have the quarterback to do it. No. And it would be in the Texas A&M vein with Johnny Manziel, where they like pull off a couple upsets, end up being super interesting, uh, beat Georgia head to head, and then boom, end up going to the SEC championship game and get lucky. Well, that's a good value buy, even if it doesn't get you anything. Like, yeah, that's not bad. 50 to one is, is good enough odds that I would take it. Can we talk about A&M? Please, under, 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 <laughs> so- always, every year under. It's, it's too easy because Jimbo plays a style of offense that keeps teams around, and it drives me nuts. Uh, I went on Texags and talked to them about that a couple of weeks ago, and the response I got was, well, every team every team in the SEC plays close games. Not, not like Jimbo, man. <laughs> not like Jimbo. He does not let that offense cook. But look at – okay, so you start off with Sam Houston, which tricky FCS playoff team, you should, you should beat the pants off him. You get then rewarded with – Appalachian State, then you get Miami, then you get Arkansas, (laughs) and then you get at Mississippi State. You're not even having Mississippi State State or South Carolina at home. You're going to both of those spots. And South Carolina, by the way, uh, sneaky tough place to play. Yeah, they got the rooster crowing and everything like Mm -hmm. that. So then, and then Alabama, and then you're off. I I don't see, you could legitimately be, you know, you could say three and three. You could say... Oh, I don't think you can say two and four. I'm not that bold, but man, that, that is a rough opening slate. These, these kids talk about how great this team is and how practices have been, have been booming. I'm like, well, they better be. Cause that, is, that is a yeah. brutal start, man. Yeah. It, it's going to be tough. And for them to be at eight and a half as they're over under, it's just too high. And in SEC West, where all of these teams, like we said, are, are somewhere in the middle for the most part, I think that's where Texas A&M falls and they end up being somewhere in the middle. Um, So they're, they're one of my teams here as the under and then the others. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on these, Nate. LSU is an under for me. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt is an under for me, unfortunately. There's no value on this. It's over under two and a half. 
Um, but if they lose week one, basically you've already hit. And then Arkansas under seven and a half going into the season. I just think so much of what they did a year ago was Traylon Burks based. And now there is no Traylon Burks. And that is a huge loss for them offensively. KJ Jefferson is very good. He's, he's excellent. Kind of, he's excellent. He's like a baby rhino like Tim Tebow was. But <laughs> you open up with Cincinnati, which again, lost a lot of NFL talent, but it's Cincinnati playoff team. You then go, uh, you got South Carolina at home, Missouri State. That is Bobby Petrino's Missouri State team, which is, has an offense that will tear up anybody. Then you get AM, Bama at Mississippi State at BYU. Yep. Why, God, why? Yep. I, that is, this is a terrible schedule for a team trying to break through. And then not only that, but you finish up with uh, Liberty, which is also a feisty FCS team. And then you get Ole Miss, uh, LSU, Ole Miss, Missouri to close it out. Like, that is just a brutal stretch. I don't, I mean, they better be good because they're getting everything thrown at them. Yeah, it it's just not a schedule worth worth betting on the over. And if I'm betting on anything for them, it would be the under. Um, is there anybody else, LSU, Vandy, that stands out to you as being worth mentioning here in a more significant way? Look, I don't think it's ever worth talking about Vanderbilt. I love the good doctors and music producers out of Nashville, but I'm sorry, not not this year. Yeah, LSU. I just don't know what to make of them. I, d- I have no idea what to make of them. It's too many moving parts. Just too many moving parts. They got decent non-con. Uh, I mean, you get Florida State, which is rebuilding. Southern, like FCS Southern. Uh, New Mexico, which is just perennially bad. You get, I mean, you get Tennessee at home. You get Alabama at home. You got UAB in the non-con too. But like, that's, there's just too many, it's too many unknowns. And until you see them play, it's tough to really get a read. So, I think if you're going for a value buy, buy low on LSU and this, you know, move on to your next one. Okay. Um, the other ones that I I have here as my stay aways. <sighs> so the reason why I'm doing most of these is because I think that they are correct in where the lines are set. So okay. Alabama, Georgia, there's just no value on taking the over. They're both no. set at 10 and a half. Do I think that there's a good chance that both would end up winning 11 games? Yeah, I do, but there's no value in it. And so just go ahead and stay away. Don't don't mess with them. It's it's not worth it. There's also juice on the over. It's just not Mm -hmm. it's not worth your time. So the three that are worth actually maybe having discussions about. They're all in the SEC East and they're all direct competitors with Mizzou. (laughs) Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky's over under a set of eight. We've both mentioned neither of us are particularly high on Kentucky this year. Florida is at seven. And that, again, feels kind of right to me. And then South Mm -hmm. Carolina is set at six. And I think the reason why I'm not like more bullish on at least one of these teams is because I am a little bullish on Mizzou. And if Mizzou's going to get to the number that I have for them to hit the over, it's probably going to come at the expense of at least one of these teams. Sure. They're, they're probably going to have to win one of these games, and that takes away one of those quote unquote guaranteed wins from them. So I, I just I'm staying away from all three of these at the back end of the SEC East. So I don't. South Carolina made the dumbest decision of all time and made Clemson their rival. Yep. Because um, you play them every single year, South Carolina. You also play Georgia every single year, so that was smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you play Clemson and Georgia every year. 
I, I, that's going to change with the pods probably as long as you don't draw Georgia. But like, what a dumb, dumb, dumb thing to do for a, a middle tier SEC team. Now the good news is you do have Georgia State, Charlotte, uh, and South Carolina State. But they draw Arkansas Those, and Texas A&M. Arkansas on the road Arkansas this year in the yep. cross divisional matchups. Yep. That's rough. Yep. You go to Kentucky. Uh, you go to Florida. You do get Tennessee at home. You do get Missouri at home. But man, that's just yeah. I mean, I do not buy the hype of South Carolina mainly because I understand Spencer Rattler is very good, but I also saw that offensive line last year and it was not very good. And that's the other thing. Your opinion on South Carolina going into the season, tell me if you you agree or disagree with this, is almost entirely based on how you feel about Spencer Rattler. If you think Rattler can overcome anybody that's around him and he's just going to be a stud now because he's away from, obviously, the cancer that was... Uh, Lincoln Riley in the University of Oklahoma. Like, then, yeah, I, I get being in on South Carolina. If you don't feel that way, like I would say probably most sane human beings, uh, then I I am going to be lower. Like, these these things are true. Spencer Rattler is a tremendous quarterback. I've seen him throw the ball. He's got some beautiful throws. South Carolina also won seven games last year <laughs> with a damn coach at quarterback. Like, they pulled the graduate assistant out of his polo, put a uniform on him for like the first four games, and then basically just had a poo-poo platter of guys who could kind of throw the ball forward. And they won seven games. I get that. I also know they had a great recruiting offseason. I get that. Speaking as a team that's usually not very good, who's had very good recruiting classes, it takes a while for those guys to get on the field. I don't don't see the immediate impact here. I don't see it. Uh, When we were talking to Mike Bratton about his view on the SEC – he said very similar things. Yes, there's a lot of juice around South Carolina right now based off of recruiting wins. Recruiting wins are not wins in the ledger. you got to actually play the games. Those guys actually got to get on the field. And more often than not, a coach is going to go with experience over talent. So I don't see it. I've seen that offensive line. It ain't great. Spencer Rattler, no matter how good you are, you need guys to block for you. And I don't see it. So I don't get it, but maybe I'm wrong. So... Talk to me about Florida, because I have a concern about them, Nate. Let me hear it. We talked about scheduling hard early, right? We did, yep. They start out with Utah, Kentucky, South Florida, and then at Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that they will start the season one and three. Yeah. Nate, you've been around football programs before. You've done this football thing for a while. Mm-hmm. What is a locker room like when you start the season one and three after having expectations? It's it's not great. It's not great. They're very likely going to be two and three, maybe three and three, depending on how you feel about that Mizzou, Florida game. But then you've got an ass kicking with Georgia <laughs> and Texas A&M coming up. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, man. The, the number is set at seven. And I think this is a super fragile setup for them where they could easily go under, but if they're able to rebound with that Eastern Washington, Mizzou, LSU middle there, the, if you like look at it as an Oreo and that's the cream filling in the middle, mm-hmm. they've, they've got to take advantage of that to be able to get to seven. And then if they're going to win, if they're going to go over, like they've, they've got to pull off an upset somewhere. Man, Eastern Washington's hell on wheels. Don't, don't ever play Eastern Washington. No. They, they scheduled that back when, Jim McElwain was head coach because he was an Eastern Washington alum, and I believe he coached there too. 
Uh, sorry, he was not an alum, but he definitely coached there. Um, so this is a favor that they're finally having to cash in. And Eastern Washington's good. Uh, it's it's a it's a high flying air raid type of offense. Just gives you is hell to, to defend against. Um, yeah, God, you know, LSU. You get them at home, yes. And but that's that's a weird rivalry game that LSU and Florida always play. Just weird weird games. Georgia A and M is bad. South Carolina. Uh, is is just a Viking warrior that fights harder when you're bleeding, and God, they're going to be bleeding after those two weeks. So like, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Florida State's weird. I just no. Billy Napier has been preaching patience all off season. Now he finally got some recruiting wins, which is great. But he's like, this is not going to be a quick turnaround. You have to have patience with us. We're going to bring in the recruits that Mullen couldn't do, but it's going to take us time. And you know, Anthony Richardson was good, but. He also had one of the best offensive minds in the world calling plays for him, and he's not going to have that this year. So I don't know. I don't feel good about Florida. I I, I wouldn't touch it. I'm with you. Last one, Kentucky. Let's do it. Oh, God. So Kentucky, the reason I'm not touching it is because the over-under set at eight. If That's it was crazy. eight and a half, I would take the under. Yeah. But yeah. their schedule is Miami at Florida, mm-hmm. Youngstown State, and Northern Illinois to start things out. That could be four wins. They might start the season four now. It's absolutely mm-hmm. possible. At Ole Miss, that's going to be tough. And then South Carolina, Mississippi State, possible they win both of those games. Sure. Wouldn't bet on it, but possible. So you could be, at this point in time, six and one. And then you've got at Tennessee, I think that's probably a loss. At Mizzou, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Vandy, that's a likely win. Mm-hmm. Georgia and Louisville. I can totally see how you get to eight wins here. I can absolutely see it. Getting more than that's tough for me to see. Yeah, not a game more. <laughs> and that that's where things like if I was a lean one way or the other, it's the under. But their schedule is a little too light and they got some advantageous matchups in the uh, the cross divisional thing with Mississippi State. I mean, there is nothing good that can come out of the West, unfortunately, but that's about as good as you can do, I suppose mm-hmm. um, that. I'm just gonna I'm gonna lean on the the push and I'll take the eight. I just I I don't I don't think that Kentucky offense is gonna be any good. Also, uh Chris Rodriguez, their running back, it it's is such a big story. Rumored that he's going to miss the first four games of the year. Now, again, we just talked about those first four games. If you're half as good as people think you're gonna be, you don't need him. But he's not gonna get the reps, right? He's not gonna get the game experience. But that could mean you lose at Florida and now could be like now you're instead of being four and oh three and one at that point yeah. in time and that changes mm-hmm. the calculus on this as well the upside just for me is not there to take the over i do not no. see any upside on the over no i'm with you i wish I'm this was you. set at eight and a half i really do that would be nice that'd be nice well we will see games kick off this saturday Watch man the sec east is so weird this year it's so weird it's the sec east what am i talking about it's just it's Florida's rebuilding. Tennessee, we're not sure if it was a flash in the pan or not. South Carolina's rebuilding. Kentucky just lost one of their greatest offensive players of all time. And offensive minds, too, by the way. Don't forget about that part. That OC OC was a stud. And then there's Missouri. Yeah. And Georgia, but we all know about Georgia. So it's just... Yeah, it's it's tough. This this year kind of sets up to be a bizarro, like, 2015 in some ways. Or 2014, excuse me. But you've got Georgia. <laughs> like, 
they kind of erased that pretty easily. Yeah, if, if Georgia wasn't in the division, you could look at this and be like, ah, I can squint and wink and may, maybe <laughs> I could find a way here. But, you know, then Georgia happens. Yeah, yeah. When you play Georgia, you lose. It's the law. Um, any, any, any following thoughts? Any closing thoughts? Closing remarks? Uh, I don't think so, man. I'm just ready for game week. I'm excited for us to actually talk about real football, tangible mm-hmm. things, and to get into what Mizzou looks like. Like, there's, yeah. there's real stuff. Ne- this <laughs> next time we talk, we're gonna be in person, right? You and me doing uh, a podcast like together. Next time we talk, we'll be podcast but the day after that will be in person yes okay well close enough basically the same thing yeah me me and nate are taking in a full college football saturday together in nate's basement i don't know if that's actually the case but i'm just gonna assume it is it'll be my basement okay (laughs) kidless uh, basement with uh, a spread to die for gotta love it um so we will be watching the stuff that takes place when Missouri doesn't play on a Saturday. God bless <laughs> them for playing on a Thursday. I am. I have be never been more thankful for anything in my life than Mizzou playing on the opening Thursday. That's going to be so awesome. More of that, please. More please. of that. But yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you. Uh, we can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt Nietzsche Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.